You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Earth Station One, and we are here to do our quarterly book club, and we are going to be talking all about the classic Jack Kerouac on the road this time. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's for me, which it was my pick this month, this one has a lot of memories for me from reading it back in school and then also just how being blown away with reading it and how it defined a lot of how I lived my early 20s and 30s. It was actually pretty cool and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about it. We've got a great crew to do that. And speaking of great crew, here's the co-host for this episode, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! How are you, sir? You ready for a great episode? I'm ready to go on the road. Exactly. I got our I car back and ready. Oh. You're not going to drive? No. Okay. You don't want that. We'll have Dean drive. It's okay. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Speed limits, where he goes, there are no limits. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And we have a lot of different things to talk about this week, but we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. Also, before we get started, one big shout-out for our patrons. That's right, folks. Our patrons mean so much to us, and you guys have been going gangbusters. We've get, been getting new people all the time. People who've been with us already are upping their subscriptions and how much they're donating. But for as little as 25 cents a week, yes, you, that's right, you can be part of the network and help us out. It's not that bad, you know, and, you know, we appreciate whatever you guys can do, and we appreciate everyone who does it. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Patreon, it's a really great way to help out the ESO Network. And speaking of ESO Network, a lot of us went to cons this past weekend, and we've got some guests with us to talk all about it. Let's welcome Richard and Alex. Welcome, guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, guys. You guys were up in Tennessee this last week. Well, I'm here all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know they barely let you out of the state. There is That's a right. Kind of, I, kind of, I get you know, special permits and stuff. Your visa only goes so far, you know. <laughs> and I don't now, mean the credit card. Had both of you been to Fanboy Expo before? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I have. So, so, so what's the appeal, first of all, of Fanboy Expo? Uh, for me, the appeal was that one, it's a smaller con, uh, and it seems to still be able to get some really good names. The atmosphere for me last year was just so interesting to me because of the fact that like the hotel I was staying in was the host hotel. So it wasn't uncommon to get on the elevator with the voice of Goofy or wind up sitting next to uh, Steve Whitmire at lunch or seeing James Hans at breakfast. It just, it just happened. And everybody was very cool about it. Very chill. And I think it's one of the things I really liked about it. 
for me, before Fanboy Expo, we had AdventureCon, which was kind of like the first one. And then it kind of morphed into Fanboy Expo. And uh, and I always I always liked it. It's 25 minutes from my house, and Knoxville's pretty easy to to navigate as far as parking garages and such. So it's an easy convention for me to go to. Like Alex said, it's it's smaller, but I mean you're still looking at ten to fifteen thousand people. I think I, I haven't heard an exact number, but I think it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And the big names, they I feel like they get some of the biggest names around. To be honest. So and and this year um, you were working the show, right, Richard? Yeah, it's the first time I volunteered for a convention, and I. And un, uh, I stupidly, <laughs> it wasn't unknowingly because I did it, but uh, I uh, volunteered for all four days, which there it's only a three day con, but I helped on setup. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And um, how does that work? Uh, well, so on um, on Thursday, I just I stood around a lot, and then finally they gave me the task and two other guys to hang the banners, which. They couldn't find the hooks, so we just set them on the table. But there are a lot of band like it is crazy to try to sort that out. <laughs> you don't think it's that hard, but when you have you know seventy banners and you're trying to find specific ones for specific areas, and they're in two separate buildings, by the way, because this was the first year that the con went into two buildings. Yeah, that was really interesting for me this year was when they announced that they were expanding it as much as it, as they were. Um, because last year, really, there I felt like there was enough room for everybody in the one venue. I mean, there were a couple of things that I would have liked to have seen. But I think, was it part of the reason for the expansion, though, that there were other things going on in the convention center? I don't know the real reason. I I. I honestly think a lot of it had to do with just having more room for more people. Like Mm -hmm. the aisles were bigger and the aisles were much bigger. Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't know if, if the other things going on, I know there wasn't anything major, major. There Um, was, there was a major sorority convention and uh, and an engineer's thing that was going on uh, because they actually took over the hotel that we were staying at, Uh which last year was the host hotel. So, um, but yeah, they, they definitely, they definitely expanded much wider. I will say this, the photo op area this year was a thousand percent yeah. better it than it was last year. It was a yeah, it was huge, huge area, really well done, uh, really well put together. I, uh, it was Wolf Studios Photography handled the photo ops and I'll tell you right now, I thought they did a fantastic job with getting everybody taken care of. I've not heard one negative thing about the photo ops. So, and I think um, having it in the two areas, like lines weren't that big of an issue. Uh, They didn't used to the con was so cramped that lines ran into aisles and, and such. But now with the two, I don't know if they're going to go forward with it, but if they do, I kind of hope they do because I mean, it just gave a lot of room. Yeah. And by having, I, what was one of the things I thought was interesting with this one was the fact that uh, as far as the A-listers go, you had Carrie Elways in one building and Bruce Campbell 
in another. Um, so it really was a case where there was room uh, for them and people were not like, like the year before, I, I want to say uh, Ian McClellan was right next to another a very large name. And because of that, it, it caused a little bit of confusion. But this year, uh, you, you definitely had a little more of a spread out vibe to it. And by doing that, it did force people to check out the other building, which I think was a really smart idea. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul Rubin was like on the other side of Kerry. Yes, so he was on the opposite side yeah. of the uh, of the thing. And I know that uh, I, I was actually you know, the first in line for his autograph on Saturday. And I know that he was having some mobility issues because um, he was like almost 30 minutes late for his autograph signing because he couldn't get to where he needed to go. Um, so I don't yeah, know that was, with him. There are growing pains with every yeah. everything whenever you try to add a building. So I definitely oh, yeah. felt that. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem is, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll give them props on the security. I loved it. I mean, just in this day and age, uh, security is, is much needed. And, but the problem is, is so when you go from one building to the other, you have to go outside. And then every time you go outside, you have to go back. There's security. another security check. So yeah. even if you go out to grab a hot dog or something at the food trucks, mm-hmm. uh, you, you would have to go back through security and the line could be long. Um, and the Q and a Q and a was in both buildings. So that caused some confusion. Uh, just, uh, I mean, I, there were some growing pains. Uh, you can't make everybody happy. Right? There, there were some, some minor issues, but honestly, like uh, Saturday morning, the second building, which had the Q and a with both Carrie Elways and the photo op for Bruce Campbell. Uh, the, when they opened up that building, they had two security people for that one. Um, when the day before they had had six. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, but those are minor things. Those are minor quibbles. And they actually got to a point where they were like, if you don't have a bag, come this way. Yes. And all these people who didn't have any bags or anything like that were immediately brought in. I will also say there is nothing more enjoyable. Seriously, if you get the chance, just sit down with a funnel cake and watch stormtroopers try to walk through security. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely the funniest thing you'll ever see. <laughs> well, um, even though that, uh, yeah, there were some growing pains, but mm-hmm. I know that uh, even then, Richard, even though you had to work it, I could tell from uh, the posts that you guys made, both of you, that you guys had a blast, uh, particularly meeting some folks. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your your close encounters, Alex. Um, well, the first off, when we got up there, we discovered that, unfortunately, Jim Cornette of the Midnight Express and Stan Lane of the Midnight Express had canceled, uh, which was a bit of a bummer because that was actually a birthday gift for me was to be able to get their autographs. Mm. Um, so that, that kind of that put an early sting on it. But having said that, uh, Carrie Elways was in terrific spirits. Billy Zane may have been one of the highlights of the entire thing. Uh, he was absolutely terrific and a lot of fun. Bruce Campbell made it a point to insult everybody, awesome. uh, but did it in a good-natured way, but, but wound up giving everybody really a good deal of time. Uh, which was nice because he easily, and I don't think it's it's unfair to say this, Bruce Campbell had the longest lines. And he took the time to take care of everyone. Um, when the first autograph session for him sold out, they had people waiting at 11, uh, I want to say at, at 
I think his photo op was at 12. So at 1230, that was when they opened the line for his autograph things. They were telling everybody to come back at two o'clock for maybe a chance to get to the second one. And then suddenly they're like, no, just go ahead and, and get these people taken care of. So they were able to move the lines quick enough so that everyone still had an opportunity and to, to actually interact, but still got everybody through, which I thought was fantastic. That is cool. Um, Richard, what about you? Who, uh, who were you uh, met that, uh, that was the highlight of the weekend? Um, so being a volunteer, like I, I felt some, uh, maybe not growing pains, but I felt some frustration there a lot of times, but overall being a volunteer helped me. And if I gave any advice, I would say do it one day, not all four. And, but the highlight for me was somehow I ended up at Jody Benson's table and she was the voice of a little mermaid. And so I, I just stood there and took pictures uh, for people and stuff and just did, you know, but really I just stood there. Uh, but I did that for about four hours on Friday and but I'm, I'm serious. Like I had no interest in meeting her and that's not an insult. It's just, I mean, it just wasn't my thing. She is my favorite person I've ever met in my life. Like, <laughs> wow. She is so nice. She's so genuine to the fans. She, her autograph is beautiful and that sounds yeah. dumb, but like, you know, you're paying 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, $80. I mean, it was 80 bucks for a picture and an autograph from her, but you got at least three to five minutes with her. And that's yeah. saying something. Um, yeah. She had a, a person right. And there was a guy in front of me, his girlfriend um, was a huge fan and actually had the original uh, golden book for the little mermaid that he had brought to sign. Cause I couldn't find any of their DVDs. And she was like, well, where, where, where is she right now? And he was like, yeah, no, she couldn't make it. She had to go on an unexpected trip to New York. And Jody Benson did a video for her. on oh, awesome. yeah. Wow. And she literally, she's like, I want her to be able to see, hear it. So I'm going to step behind the curtain real quick mm-hmm. and just give a little message. But she must have, have talked for like a good minute, minute and a half to her. Um, uh, which I think it's may have sung to her because she did yeah. that. Uh, yeah. I, so the video recording is a thing that Jody does, yeah. and um, it, it's just awesome. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Um, she's just a very, very kind person, and she really care. She really cares that that you're a fan. And I, not saying anything bad about Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens, but I did not get that from Paul. Rubens. To be <laughs> fair, I saw him. I was the second to the last person on Sunday that mm-hmm. saw him. So I don't know if he was exhausted. He wasn't mean. He wasn't rude. He was polite, but it was very quick. Paul, there's something ha- something was going on with, with Rubens on this one. I have heard nothing but great things from him. But the photo ops were a little rough with him, and the autograph sessions were as well. I didn't even make it to his Q&A. Um, but I, and, and again, no disrespect to him. If he was having an issue, cause I heard him actually say, it's really too far for me to walk. Is there an op- Is there a way that we can get a vehicle over here to help me get to these places? Cause it is a far walk. I mean, it is anytime you're in a convention, it's going to be a long walk. So, yeah. but these are two separate buildings and they're not connected by tunnels or by anything. anything. So. It, they're, they're literally not. Uh, the second building was actually connected to, 
two hotels. They were like below two of the hotels that people were staying at. Um, but I had a lot of my friends who managed to run into people who weren't at their booth. Um, a friend of the station, Lacey, uh, managed to uh, have a nice conversation at a valet uh, waiting for their cars with Mickey Dolans of the monkeys and um, Tara strong actually asked to do a photo with us and didn't charge us because she was feeling, uh, what was her exact word? Particularly cute today. So (laughs) I have a photo with Tara strong, which I had not planned on. It's just cool. Like I feel like at this convention more than others, you have a more of an opportunity to, to, for, for these things to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, and yes, I volunteered and I I met Jody and stuff, but I went back Sunday and she was just very kind to me. Uh, it's just great. Um, I also met Lisa Zane, had an uncomfortable moment where I went to shake her hand and she went to shake my hand and she knocked over a drink all over her oh, stuff. Yeah. And then I awkwardly walked away. Yeah, probably a good call. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good call at that point. I, I can't make it out of a convention without something awkward. <laughs> Well, it sounds like a great time from both of you. And I guess uh, just to wrap it up, uh, I guess we'll, so next year, you guys plan on being there as well? They, they have a two-day convention, another expo this year. In, this year in October. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'll be going to that. My, I, I, when uh, I went last they year. announced David Arquette yeah. about t- two hours ago. So, okay. So there you uh, go. The WCW world champion, Alex, yep. you're not going to go? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've I've actually seen him wrestle in Canton. So oh, nice. Um, yeah. The uh uh when I went last year, I went with my buddy Todd. This year I went with my buddy Ash, my buddy Todd, my buddy Derek, who I'd never actually met face to face, and Lacey. So we had a bigger crew this year, and when it was over, I think we all were in agreement that we were looking forward to going back the following year and actually trying to figure out how to make plans starting now to make it happen for next year. Um, it's, it's, I, I, you know, we keep calling it a convention. I think it is more like the expo aspect. There are things that it's missing. Um, we don't have a filk area really. They had one Disney sing-along portion. Um, and the panels are more Q and a than anything else. So yeah. you don't get any of no the fan panels, either. no fan panels. And I think that's what it's missing. I think it's missing that. And I think it's missing uh, media opportunities uh, chances just to be able to have a room that's, that's showing old movies or old cartoons or something like that. I think it's missing that. But aside from, from the fan panels and, and that sort of thing, there's absolutely no reason not to go to fanboy expo. I think it's a phenomenal experience. Excellent. Well, um, you guys are selling me, so I, I have to put it on my schedule for next year. We'll see what happens. That'd be cool. But uh, awesome, guys. Thanks so much for, for coming on and chatting it up. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Alex and Richard, for talking all about the Fanboy Expo. And yes, uh, while they were in Tennessee going to a convention, Mike and I were here in Atlanta at the second Atlanta Comic Con that was held at the um, Georgia World Congress Center. And, uh, Mike, this is the second time we've done it. Um, the Both times, they've asked us to participate in panels. So on Saturday, we had two panels that we were doing as part of uh, Air Station One Network and uh, Air Station One Podcast. 
And um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I think you'll agree. Oh, very much so. It was myself, uh, you, of course, and it was also Michael Faulkner, a uh, friend of the show, um, joining in with both panels, actually. Yeah, so it was uh, Mike, Mike, and Mike. Mm-hmm. When For the second panel we did, uh, we actually were joined also by another Mike. Yep. Michael yeah. Bailey. So we had four mics. And we had then, four mics talking into three mics. <laughs> exactly. And then later on at the uh, 1030 at night, uh, Michael Bailey uh, was putting on a panel celebrating 80 years of Batman. And he asked uh, um, both myself and Mike Faulkner to join him. And so we did. Um, and so, yes, it was back to three mics again uh, to close out the evening. So, um, but I will say that was that, just way past my bedtime. Yeah. I will say that doing, doing panels there is fun. It's, it's kind of unusual because as, as, uh, Richard and Alex were talking about, you know, with the expo shows, you don't, they don't have fan panels, right? So, um, with this show, with the, with Atlanta comic-con, you wouldn't expect it since it's in a, the, the world Congress center for them to have like, you know, fan panels either, but they do, and they encourage them. Uh, I know that Dave over at Needless Things had a panel on the 89 Batman, celebrating that uh, on Sunday. And some other friends of ours had panels too. So I have to actually give them props for bringing out the fan community with the panels that they do. Oh, very much so. It's pretty amazing. And a couple other friends of the shows, you know, have panels during the evening. Some of them are other podcasters or some are just fan run, some are game run. It's just, it's pretty awesome what they have set up here and it's very family friendly. And it was just really nice to see all the kids, all the people dressed up in costumes and they have a great vendor area also. And, you know, with an artist alley right in the middle of it, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, but speaking of panels, I think we also also mention, give a shout out to, because we weren't the only uh, members of the ESO network that were there. Uh, I do believe that uh, Nicholas Hoffman, and uh, was he the only one from Myopia that was doing um, uh, sort of a Cineprov thing? I think so, but he does it with another crew of people who do the Cineprov. Gotcha. Right. Right. So, but I, I know that he was there and, uh, and, and the panels are well attended too. I mean, we did not know what to expect uh, from our 11 AM panel uh, or to our one thirty uh, MCU panel to um, the evening panel uh, at 1030 at night. And yet I think uh, we safe to say that we all, it, all of them defied our expectations of how many people were actually going to attend those. as well. We were really pleased and it was really nice the interaction we had with everybody. I could already tell you that both the MCU panel that we did at 1.30 and also the podcasting panel that we did at 11.30 are both going to be up on Patreon probably within the next two weeks. And so I we'll also believe that uh, the panel that I did with um, Michael Faulkner and Michael Bailey on Batman will be released as part of the um, Fortress of Bailey 2 podcast. Oh, that is awesome. And Michael puts out a great show. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the panels were great. So thanks. If you are listening to this, if this is your first episode of Earth Station One, because you uh, listen to the mics, uh, how, welcome, howdy. And uh, we are glad to have you with us. And thank you for attending our panels. And uh, hopefully 
the same kind of entertainment or um, uh, tomfoolery or nonsense that you experience on those panels, you will hear on a weekly basis on our show. <laughs> that's that's exactly how we operate. So, um, uh, but that said, despite we're not that, proud, you know, that's what no, we like to say. Not at all. Not 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 even a little bit. Um, so, uh, but I have to say, in addition to the panels, like you were saying, Mike, they have a great floor, a convention floor that is chock full of dealers, exhibitors, um, small press, um, uh, pros, like as far as comic pros and both artists and writers, and uh, of course, celebrities, uh, most of which are comic related. Uh, um, and uh, most of them this year were voice actors. Um, I know that they had uh, Kevin Conroy, who does the voice of Batman, uh, Probably, in my opinion, the the best Batman that we've ever gotten uh, in, in outside of comics. And his line was long all weekend long. I think he was the main star attraction of the uh, of the voice actors, certainly, and probably of all of the celebrities. Um, mm. But also all the um, all four of the folks that are voicing the turtles currently uh, were there as well. Well, inc- including good friend of yours, Rob Paulson, was there. I know. I wish I would have had extra time to go see Rob. He is such a nice guy. He really is. And, uh, and I, um, I had, I was very excited because Townsend Coleman, who's currently voicing Michelangelo on the turtles, uh, cartoon, uh, was there and, uh, he will forever be the voice of the tick for me. And, uh, it was great to meet him in person. He was a, he was a great guy. Um, a very lovely gentleman. Uh, we talked for maybe 10, 15 minutes really about the tick and about how that was like some of the behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, he was, you know, he's, he was telling me stuff and then he would like, you know, talk to the, luckily his line was not hugely long. So he could, he could spend more time with other people, uh, with individual people. And that was really nice. I, I appreciate that a lot. It was really a special moment for me. Um, I'm still kind of on a high from it because, uh, you know, along with Kevin Conroy, he's probably one of my favorite voice actors, uh, ever, uh, just because of his work on the tick. Um, so, uh, that was great. Uh, that's the only really celebrity thing I did. Uh, and then I, I spent most of the other time, most, most of the rest of my time, uh, just talking to our, uh, indie comic friends that were there and, uh, you know, they, they were there in full force. Oh, I totally could see that. Tons of friends of the show were there. It was actually great to actually see, you know, the gentleman who was on Earth Station Who this week, uh, Dan Kozu, was also at the show. I got to meet him in person finally. It was actually really cool. Yeah, a lot of folks that uh, that have been on the show were uh, in the, either in the geek seat or in some form uh, because we like to try to promote independent creators here. So a lot of them were, uh, were there and it was nice to reconnect with them as well as, um, you know, there was a lot of great professional, um, artists and writers there too in comics. Uh, but one thing, and you know, not going to be a Debbie down or anything, but the one thing that I'd heard from a lot of people was that almost all of the professional people were charging for autographs. And, uh, that's something that I've seen more and more as a trend. Uh, I saw a number of those folks do that at Heroes. Um, and some of them had, some of them were cool about it. Like if you were just bringing up a book, one book, they would sign that for free. But anything more than that, uh, they would charge. 
uh, a lot of folks had the like a little cup for the hero initiative on their table. So uh, they would sign as many books as you wanted, but they were kind of really encouraging you to donate to the hero initiative, which I think is fantastic. I don't have a problem with that. But uh, the folks that were charging five to ten dollars or dollars a piece for autographs, that was something that I'm starting to see a little bit more of from comic folks. And look, I get it. There's not a lot of money in comics, um, so and you know, it's when you see celebrities uh, that are like an extra on The Walking Dead uh, making like forty bucks a pop with a photo and a and a signature, sometimes uh, like some of those uh, comic writers are like, kind of like, well, we'd like to get some of that too. And, um, and plus it discourages people from bringing up long boxes of books to have for them to sign, which I'm Oh, I, I hate that. I <laughs> hate that. <laughs> yeah. There's been, there's been too many times in my life where I'm like, Oh, I'm only like second in line. I'm just going to get this guy's autograph. And the guy in front of me brings out like, like pulls out like 80 books and puts them on the table. <sighs> for the guy to sign and it's like these are gonna go straight to ebay oh of course and that that bugs me yeah it, it's not a cool thing for me either i mean i i yeah i don't get it but in any case uh i look the vibe of the show is great it's a very different feeling than some of the other conventions at uh in Atlanta, uh, both Momocon, DragonCon, they have their own kind of audiences. And this one in year two, I'm finding that it's got its own audience too. It's very family, family friendly. Uh, a lot of diversity in the audience, uh, in the crowds. Um, a lot of young people in the crowds as well. A lot of cosplay. A lot of great cosplay. Yeah. Tons um, of great cosplay. You got some great pictures actually. Yeah, please. If you want to check those out, just go to the ESO Network um uh instagram page because that's where i try to post all the photos that i take at conventions of of cosplayers and all that so um yeah it was fun and it and i had this like you know it's one of those things where it was like a kid in the candy store i'm like wherever i point the camera there's some amazing cosplay so uh i probably could have gotten like at least four times as many so um but i mean lots of lots of great cosplay and uh it's just a great show i you know as long as this show keeps coming to atlanta I'm going to keep checking it out because I think it's it's nice to have a comic con here that actually does, that is about comics. Now, is it all about comics? No, there's celebrities. There's some uh, actors and voice actors and whatnot. But I think they still have that comic tie to them. And, um, I mean, there was a couple of wrestlers. But to be fair, they had bought vendor space. Yeah, but did you see Val Kilmer was there? Yeah, Val Kilmer was there. I didn't actually see him, though. Did you see him? I did see him, and he does not look good. <laughs> he looks pretty rough, huh? Yeah, but he he had an issue with cancer. and yeah, he did. He's had a rough go of it the last, like, I don't know, decade, I think. Yeah, but it's pretty impressive that, you know, he was out there in the public and came out for the con, and good on him. I'm very happy to do that. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten that he was going to be there. Thanks for the reminder. And uh, yeah, because he was a big name as well. Um, I mean, there was a time, like what, 15 years ago, you would never expect Al Kilmer to be at a, at a comic, right? Exactly. So um, so great fun um, and great guests. And I, I, we had a great time. I, I definitely would encourage people to come and check it out uh, next year. I, I don't know if it's going to be back next year. I assume it will be, but I don't know for sure. I don't think they've announced uh anything in particular 
uh, for next year. But if they do, I'm, I'm going to be there. No, uh, definitely. I would be there too, alongside you, of course, but <laughs> you know, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And, you know, even though I was only there Saturday this year, last year we were both there Saturday and Sunday. Yes. And, you know, I heard the crowds weren't as big on Sunday as they were on Saturday, but I assume everyone was having a great time. And if, you know, the numbers were there, they looked like everybody was enjoying themselves. And, you know, I just like to see this one grow. It'd be nice to have a really true multi-day comic show in Atlanta. So I think it's pretty, pretty awesome with that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not, it's not heroes. It's not just completely focused on comics. Um, But it's, you know, it, it, it's its own thing. And I think there's, you know, plenty of room for it here. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm going to continue to support it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Definitely. And thank you for them inviting ESO network. Absolutely. Is that was uh that was a who was on last week? Jamie was that Jamie, Jamie who was their promotions person and yeah. so was Jamie, uh, really great to have on the show. Absolutely. And so thanks to Jamie and actually all the volunteers were absolutely amazing. Uh yes. always uh taking care of us, making sure that when we were on our panels that we uh did everything that uh, had everything that we needed. So oh, and most importantly. If you couldn't be at Atlanta Comic-Con this past weekend and you're like, damn, I missed out on those panels. Well, join our Patreon because we will hear two of those. There you go. Hey, doesn't get much easier than that. So we'll let everybody know when that goes up. though. So and it should be relatively soon. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with the main topic on the road. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. This weekend, we have the release of what could potentially be one of the summer's biggest moneymakers, which is Disney's live-action adaptation of The Lion King. Now, I've heard a lot of discussion about the Disney live-action adaptations in general. Some people are in favor of them, find them a fun way to kind of retell a classic story in a new format. Others are kind of like, you know what, this feels a little bit like a rehash. We've already had this animated film that was well-received. Do we really need to remake it in a new format? Now, by and large, these movies have done fairly well at the box office, so it makes sense why Disney would keep remaking them. I mean, earlier this summer, we already had Aladdin, which despite some skepticism that we saw based on uh, internet chatter, this movie has made a lot of money. In fact, Aladdin just keeps going and going. It's still making money and has been one of the summer's leggiest movies. So I'm sure Lion King is looking to kind of follow along that trend. And on the surface, it seems like Lion King is poised to do really well. Again, those live action movies have been performing well. And The Lion King is one of Disney's most popular animated films. It has just endured in popularity 
Families really love it. So we could see it do very well at the box office. My only slight reservation is that with some of these other live action adaptations like Cinderella, like Aladdin, there's the novelty of seeing human actors play these animated characters. With The Lion King, it actually is kind of just another animated movie, even though it's being branded as live action. That's because... It's actually still kind of animated in a sense. It's photorealistic CGI animation, but still animation. It's also gotten so-so reviews, but some of these other live-action Disney remakes have gotten so-so reviews and then were well-received by fans. So I'll be really curious to see how it does at the box office, but regardless, Disney is already the big winner at the box office this year. I mean, we've already got Avengers Endgame and Aladdin in the rearview mirror, and then we have Frozen 2 and The Rise of Skywalker still to come. So Disney's not going to be suffering by any means. On home video this weekend, we have a movie that I'm excited to see again, which is the DC Comics movie Shazam. If you by any chance have not seen Shazam yet, it is well worth a rental. It's a really entertaining, fun, family-friendly superhero film. It's just kind of one of those fun, feel-good movies. So it didn't actually perform as well at the box office as I would have liked to see, maybe because it came out too close to Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, but really a charming film, so definitely worth your time to check it out. And that's it for this week's entertainment, renew- entertainment news. If you're looking for more content, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week I'm going to be taking a look at the Disney Live action remakes and kind of what to make of that trend. We are the Cigar Nerds, bringing nerdy sophistication and geeky indulgence on all topics, including movies, video games, science, and pop culture news, all from the Nerd Cave Cigar Lounge. Find us on iTunes, Stitchers, Google Play, and wherever fine podcasts are found, including esonetwork.com and cigarnerdpodcast.com. So fire up a cigar, it's time to get nerdy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the ESO Network Book Club. And we are going all the way back to the early 50s. And we are looking at On the Road by Jack Kerouac for this month's pick. And that was my pick. Hey, how about that? It was Mike's pick. So yes, uh, and the beat goes on. On the Road. (laughs) So yes, uh, by, of course, uh, American writer Jack Kerouac and... Uh, we have our book club crew here to join in about it. Uh, Judy is here. Hello. Howdy. And uh, um, Kirby is back as well. Hello. All right. So the gang's all here. And uh, first off, I'm going to start with you, Mike, because it's your pick. Um, what is the reason that you picked this as well as your first introduction to the, the book? Well, the reason I picked this I wanted to go a little bit different for our book club. I wanted to expand the range. Done. And everything. This was science fiction at all. No, because we've, foc- we've been focusing on sci-fi, fantasy. Sure. And such. And, you know, for there, there's other ways we could be geeks about books mm-hmm. and literature and such. Way to be geeks about everything. Well, exactly. And that's what we tell people with the geek seat exactly. all the time. And so I knew you had not read the book, Mike. 
and because we had talked about it once or twice before and i thought it would be something neat to do because i start i read this the first time in high school it was required reading in our my lit, my modern literature class okay so this was required reading for you yes but so you, did you go in like going ugh, and then well, first yeah did it, like, and blow I, your mind or did it was a slow burn for me the first time it was a little bit of a slow burn but as it picked up and they started going more and more places and you learned more about history and also a lot of where, you know, this is Americana, you know, this is right after world war two, there were no super highways. There was, you know, just U S highways and state roads and such at the time. This is also right after the dust belt. And this is, this is America, you know, this is, you know, stuff, grapes of wrath era type stuff right after the great depression. And it's just, it's just really awesome. This is, you know, Truman was still president and everything. And it was just for me being a history buff, even back then, this was just, it got more and more fascinating. And then you had the character of Dean and Dean blew me away um, because he was, you know, based off of a real person. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was, you know, involved in a lot of different stuff through the 1950s and 1960s. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, yeah, we're going to get more focused on Dean, but uh, yeah, uh, very cool. Well, um, Judy, what was your first introduction to this book? Mike had told me about it years ago and that I mean, we'd go through stacks of books deciding, you know, what to keep, what to get rid of and moving things around. And we'd always come across his copy of it. And he'd always, always say, Oh, this, this is such a great book. And this is, this is something that made a huge impression on me. And I'd really like you to read it sometime. Um, And so it was Mike, I don't know how I escaped anything as, um, any kind of required reading in, in high school about it. Um, but I mean, I, I knew the book, but I don't think I was ever told to read it in a class. Well, it was interesting because in that class I had to read this book. I had to read Catcher in the Rye. I had to read Grabs Cake, like, you know. I had to read Catcher in the Rye. And, yeah, and all Grapes the, of and Wrath. Those, and, right, those you know, were typical Gatsby high school. and stuff like that. You know? yeah. yeah, you would think you would think that this would be required reading in Massachusetts, but it was not. So yeah. That's strange. Yeah. yeah. None none of the ones you just mentioned were required reading in my high school. Really? Yeah, I remember, you know, I mean, we had to read The Great Gatsby mm-hmm. um and, and several other things. I mean Such a great book. Yeah, it <laughs> is actually. So but Gatsby. but yeah, so that that was how I was introduced to it. And Kirby? Uh I of course Everyone has heard of this. I, uh, I have to admit, this is not a book I would have picked up and read without us doing this. Uh, it's, I really don't read a lot of non-science fiction, uh, but I am sure glad I did. So Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I, I will admit um, that uh, I was pretty... Like, looking back on it now, um, I I thought that this book was, like, completely a different thing. (laughs) Like, 
Uh, I mean, I was, I've heard about On the Road and I've heard about Jack Kerouac like a lot uh, in my life, but I just never sought to seek out exactly who that was or what this book was about or anything like that. Um, it just was not anywhere close to my radar. And so um, the expectations that I had going in was that it was more of a reflection on the late 50s and 60s, early 60s, rather than the, because it takes place in the late 40s. So um, so my, uh, that whole, obviously, generation is different, right? Like, I, I put this more of, uh, like, the, 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 I thought it took place more, like, at the beginning of the hippie movement than in the beat in the counterculture movement. So, right. So that a was, lot of that, people, that a lot was of people, it. you know, do that. Yeah. Plus I thought it was really just like a, a book about like two dudes, like hitting the road and their adventures in doing so. And yes, there's a lot to that, cool. but boy, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> excuse me, the pun, but it's a long road to get there. Um, and it's not really, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, and of course, the way that it's written, uh, the style that it's written uh, is very different than anything that I'm used to reading. I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent of narrative structure, and this doesn't have that at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it, there, is a, there is a rhythm to it, and there is a, um, a sort of uh, nice, uh, there's a poetic language to it. But as far as the narrative structure... I mean, it might be there, but it's something that I'll have to really like dig into. And I just finished reading this, like, you know, <laughs> like shortly before we recorded, really. Um, so, uh, so it's still really fresh in my mind. But um, so I want to talk. There's so much to talk about with this book. Obviously, whole college courses have probably been devoted to this book. So, um, but I want to talk. I don't think you can talk about this book without talking about the two characters, the narrator. Sal Paradise, based on Jack Kerouac, and Dean, Dean Moriarty, who's based on, as we've mentioned before, Neil Cassidy. So, so we'll start with with you, Mike. What do you think of each one of these characters, and you know what is compelling about their relationship? Well, you know, basically the Sal character, I identified with a lot. You know, always, you know, growing up and wondering what the road was like, you know, what it was like out there out West and stuff. Cause I grew up mainly on the East coast with my parents, but they were hippies and they literally took us on road trips everywhere, but they weren't Dean road trips by any means, but, but they had their own certain yeah, flavor. <laughs> they had, yeah. They were more the electric Kool-Aid bus. Type thing. <laughs> That's a, that's another story for another book review. <laughs> and it also involves Neil Cassidy. That. How about that? <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting that I I did identify with Sal, especially in the beginning of the book, more than later and everything. As you know him, you know. But as I grew up, as I was going through, you know, puberty and getting into my teenage years, and then early twenties. The Wonderlust, you know, I used, as soon as I got my driver's license, because I read this book the first time at 15. And the first time I got my, when I got my driver's license, every time I went, I got, was able to get the car out and everything. I took roads where I didn't know where they went. 
and I wandered. And I, where I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., was so close to so many different states. I would take back roads and I would end up in places in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, um, you know, even, you know, down into Virginia and, you know, Eastern Shore of Maryland or, you know, Delaware. You know, it would just be like, oh, where's this road go? Where's this road? And this, this book inspired me to that. And, you know, always like, oh, let's go do this. Let's go do this. You know, go, 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 go. Because that's the one thing I picked up from Dean was always, oh, let's go do this. Let's go. Come on. Let's not just sit still. We've got to get going to this next place and this place and this place. And that carried on to Sal a lot throughout mm-hmm. this book. And exactly. And it kept on and it wore on to him and everything, which was kind of interesting. Judy, what about you? What do you feel about, uh, how do you feel about Sal uh, and, and, and Dean? Okay. Well, for, first off, um, I'm, I'm going to admit my downfall here is that I did not finish the book. Just had too much stuff going on, but um, the parts that I did read and everything that I've heard, um, and I'm expecting spoilers here. So um, I want to to hear what everybody thinks, and I don't think that in any way is going to take me away from from finishing the book. But but I'm by choice sitting here. Um, I know, Mike, you had heard me joke around and, and say that um, a, lot, a lot of people probably didn't get get what I meant when I said that when I first met Mike, um, when I started reading, he, he reminded me of like being, being around him felt a lot like being around these characters. Um, and that he's chilled out <laughs> and then now, and, and in a, a lot of ways he has, but, um, but he obviously had been so influenced and, um, I got very caught up probably the same way Sal did with Dean in, and partnering along with him for all these things that I had never, I had never done. I mean, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in that kind of thing. And I never had the, I don't know if it wasn't courage, but it never occurred to me to, to just take off and get on the road, whereas it's everything that he wanted to do. And so reading the the parts of the book that I have read, um, it's like being inside his head. Um, so in terms of the characters, it must have, it must have influenced Mike tremendously because I got another look <laughs> at the inside of him and what, what inspired him. And he's right about all these things. I mean, he, Mike, Mike will drive anywhere and anywhere we go, he's like, well, if you take that road, it'll take you here. And if you take this road, it'll take you here. And it's all come from these, these journeys that, that, that he took and he embraced it the same way Sal did. And Sal, I hope not Neil. <laughs> or not Dean, like, you know, if Mike's no, got no, like, you know, I think, a wife in every state, you know, then that's... no, no, no. But you know what? I think that Dean, I, don't, I, I don't have warrants out in every no, single thank state. God, like Dean did. Thank God. I would have found out about that after all these years. But I think that the book, I think that um, Dean was, he, I, I feel like, I mean, honey, I hope you don't mind this, but it's Go like, it. it's like the picture I get of you back before is that um you were almost the sal and um that when you read the book you were 
influenced by it almost like Dean did to Sal and it picked you up. I mean, you grew up with a lot more freedom than I did, but still it picked you up and you just took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. So I, I found that very interesting. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe this is why this book means so much to him. So that's, that's kind of how I feel on initial thought with the characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kirby. Ah, oh, these, these guys are absolutely fascinating. <laughs> but I do not identify with it. <laughs> I, 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 but I kept finding myself with this as I'm reading about these things. I'm going, I, first of all, I want to know how much of this really happened. But I kept going to the list on Wikipedia of who was who, the character and the real person, yeah. and went down all these. <laughs> the names were changed to protect the not so innocent. <laughs> went down all these side roads to going, wow, these people, how did they live like this? I, I just am blown away that you that they could do this. But it was a different time. It was. And yeah, you oh, yeah. could go out with seven dollars in your pocket and somehow pay for gas. Oh, you Steal. have to remember, gas was like ten cents a gallon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or not. And you could you could hitchhike across the country with a reasonable assurance that. You would end up in a ditch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was was different. I was explaining that to my oldest daughter yesterday uh, when we were discussing my reading this, that she's going, but hitchhiking is dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't so much then. Right. Uh, But these people, Dean's crazy. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. And I found myself watching last night on YouTube uh, a little video of uh, it's um, Allen Ginsberg and, and Neil Cassidy apparently in a bookstore or something. It's it's out out there all over the place. Just fascinating listening to those two. Um, I i'm I'm very familiar with the setup the, the narrative setup uh, setup of having a narrator who's um we'll say kind of um not out of his shell kind of kind of bland if you will not entirely but still kind of and 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 falling for or being enamored by a charismatic figure Oh, that happens much, all much, the time in most narratives. Though. Right. Oh, yeah. Much much to his, like, usually, you know, much to a tragic end. And and this really is uh, a, a very tragic love story. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's not like gay. Uh, but it's, but it's, it's, I mean, I got from the, from the very first chapter, like, it's pretty apparent that Sal is just over the moon for Dean, right? Yeah, and again, yeah. not in a romantic sexual way, but as a, as an idea, as a, as a, something to strive for, like Judy said with Mike, something like to like, like the freedom that he represents. Right. Well, exactly. Um, cause, cause it was interesting because Sal did have his friends and his literary compatriots in the, in Manhattan and stuff before he met Dean. Sure. Sure. It was a yeah. I mean, we don't exactly. really, and we, you know, even though we, the first part is really all about Sal, 
Uh, Dean only shows up a little bit. He's, he's certainly not on the road with him. Um, Sal's on the road by himself throughout the whole first part. Now, Dean um, is like a minor supporting character in book one. Yeah. And, and so you get, you, but despite that, you don't really learn. I mean, you learn about Sal from his actions and some of his thoughts, the way he's thinking about things uh, that are happening. But as far as his past, I mean, we only get little bits and pieces of his service in the war. Uh, we only get bits and pe- We know that he's a writer and he gets a book published, but we don't know really anything, anything about the book. He also um, mentions that he also was married mm-hmm. at one point. Yes, exactly. And, and the whole, like, in the first part, the whole um, uh, sequence where he, you know, falls for uh, the uh, Hispanic woman and then with a kid and then sort of, like, almost really marries her um, is, and then just pulls out, like, and, and, and they just separate with, like, it's no big deal is just really, really off-putting um, to me anyway. It um, actually happens quite a bit in this book, though. Oh, it does. The, yeah, the idea of, yeah, we could do a whole episode on the idea of love and marriage in this book. I mean, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it um, But oh, exactly. I, think, I think, obviously, like, so it takes a long time for Sal to, quote-unquote, grow up, to mature, and, and... You know, this is the Peter Pan syndrome, right? We've got we've got this kid who who looks at Peter Pan doing the wonderful things, and then as he's getting older, he realizes that you know Peter Pan doesn't work when when you get older. Like <laughs> it just you can't keep doing that. Right, and uh, and he finds out that it goes from 1947 to like the early 50s, like 1951, 52. But the book, yeah, and the story. No, the book only takes place in two years. No, it goes for quite a few years, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, but still, he, he, you know, obviously he falls like, he, you know, he, at the end, he sort of realizes that, you know, Dean is a romantic notion, but that's all he can be. Like, and even Dean can't sustain it. Like, he can't sustain himself. Uh, the dean that we meet at the end is just sort of a shadow of himself. I think it. Uh, I think uh, Kerouac even uses that kind of language to describe him. Oh yeah, so it's, it's sort of like a tragic love story where they just, you know, yeah. the, the the romantic, not the romantic love, but the 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 fondness and the that they have for one another just kind of can't sustain itself. Much like a lot of the other relationships in this book. Well, exactly, and you know, because you have so many different characters come in and out of everyone's lives the sheer number of people oh yeah i was was often confused (laughs) exactly because it'd be like well i mean and you know like certainly you almost need a scorecard as a a purist of the narrative structure you know i'm always taught and i'm always in my head like if it's not integral to the story if it's not integral to the plot it, it it needs to go and and kerouac is like every time someone enters a room He's got to be like, okay, there's old bully, and I've got to spend two pages talking about him. And I'm like, oh, is he important? No, no. not really. No. Not oh my god, that's like having a conversation with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a it's an interesting dynamic, and uh, but I will tell you that even though I, you know, we're seeing things through Sal's eyes, I personally never, and maybe it would have been different if I'd read this when I was younger. 
but maybe it's because I'm reading it now that I'm like over 50, but I'm looking at Dean and going, yeah, no, like I just, like, I just, I, he just, he's just a, a like a crazy, like, yeah, no, um, I'm just not interested. I do not, I understand because I think Kerouac does a good job of like describing how Sal feels about him. So I get it. But as far as identifying with it and, and acknowledging it for me, I am not enamored by Dean at all. Like he just turns, he's to, he's turns me off big time. See, I could see that because, you know, we're older and yeah. everything, but to Mike, when he was 15 into his oh, early twenties, Dean, influential. Dean was the road basically mm-hmm. Dean was the what's out there. This is everything that's going to, you know, going on in the country, in the world. What am I missing? Cause Dean's so exciting. He wants to experience it all. And here I am living in Gaithersburg, Maryland, you know, just stuck here. I need to get past this and I need to get out there and see what else is going on. There's a rest of the country I haven't seen. But there's a big difference between, 15 and 52. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Well, there should I, be, unless you're Dean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, well, and I, that's the thing. Dean is so much older than Sal already in this book. Older in some ways and younger in others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it, actually. Yeah. I think he's, he's supposed to be five years older. Right. And so, you know, but he's... He's what Sal wishes his life was, you know, that, you know, maybe not wishes. I think, well, no, because he he was excited because he had always heard about places like Denver and San Francisco and such. And Dean had already experienced all those. And, you know, Dean was going already, you know, planning on going back there Mm -hmm. and, you know, to it. And, you know, the whole first part of the book is, you know, Sal getting out on the road, trying to figure out even just how to leave New Jersey mm-hmm. and everything and with a couple false starts right. and everything. And it was, and it's just like, he's like, Oh, Denver's going to be amazing. It's going to be, you know, Shangri-La. And it wasn't no. and everything. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I, I understand what you're saying, Mike, Mike Gordon, um, about, your feelings for Dean as a character. Um, and no, he's not somebody that I would pick up and, and fly after now and, and give up every, you know, earthly possession to spend, you know, like weeks eating apple pie and ice cream, um, to survive and things like that. How the hell did he survive? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd been in the hospital, but, um, Is that called the, the, the paradise diet? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and whiskey but, to wash it down with. Yeah, nice. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> but but I will say it's like when when I was listening to things and stuff. I mean, for me, like I I mean I don't build my life on regrets of things that I didn't do. Though I mean, there's certain things that I wish I had been less afraid to do. Um, but I will say Big that difference. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Big difference. Um, but but I mean, there's a little part of me that. There's this little flutter, you know, that back that said, you know, oh, I just never, I never, I was never that brave. And not even that, I don't know if it ever really occurred to me. Um, I mean, that's just, 
who I was when I was that age. Um, and so there's like this little part of me that it's like, oh, wow. Wouldn't it have been, what kind of per who, let me get this straight. Who would I be as a person? Would it have made much difference in who I've become um, if I had experienced that kind of freedom back when I was younger? But I mean, in terms of now, Mike says I can't even go camping, which he's wrong, but he says I wouldn't even manage to sleep in a sleeping bag in a tent. So, you know, so obviously I'm not picking up and traveling across the country, but, but it was just a little... There's just a little part of me that said, what if? Well, I think that, you know, in addition to the, the crazy characters that, and we've already dipped our toe into it a little bit uh, talking already, but I think one of the most amazing things about On the Road is that it's a, a time capsule of yes. the late 40s and early 50s, uh, of what America was like, of what people were like, um, and I mean, granted, it's still fiction. It's based a lot on real reality, but it's still fiction. So it's not like a true lens uh, to, uh, to, it's not a documentary of how things were. But yet there are things in this book that, it, I mean, it, it's, it took place 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in some ways it feels like it, it might as well be another planet. I mean, it may not be a geeky book, a science fiction book, but it feels like it, in a lot of ways it's a different planet because oh, that, that America is gone. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That, that America is is completely gone. Um, as you you know, you pointed out, um, Judy, like it would never occur to you to do some of these things. But then when you were a kid, it probably wasn't a good idea to do some of these things because uh, it's gotten you know, a little bit more dangerous well, to, yeah. to certainly live this kind of lifestyle. Um, well, I don't think, you know, I mean, maybe it's possible to live this kind of lifestyle now, but not very easily. That's well, what. I don't mean exactly that. I mean, just something similar. Um, if I had just like taken off, I mean, I've never, you know, these, I'm not trying to make this sound like, Oh, poor me. I never left Atlanta. You know, it's like, I never took certain chances Um, I mean it more like that, but yeah, like in the, I mean, I mean, I graduated high school in 1984 and in the light late eighties, I wasn't going to take, you know, I wasn't going to take off hitchhiking across the U S I would be in a ditch somewhere. (laughs) But here's the other thing too, that's really changed. I mean, um, the fact that the way that our society is structured now, um, you, I mean, you can't. I can't see how anybody could feasibly do anything close to this based on the economic structure that we have. Like if you wanted to just like go somewhere, like you said, Judy, like you didn't just go somewhere, but that would require like money. Like it would require. Absolutely. You couldn't just go across the country and with 50 bucks. You can't get away with now. Like, let's say like $50 then, was like maybe five hundred dollars now. You still couldn't do it. No. Yeah, still exactly. You still couldn't do it. The, the, like a lot of the things that you know, obviously hitchhiking is, it's just something that's not a good idea. No. Um, I would not encourage it. I don't even think the the, the network do not encourage you putting yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think the um, 
what do they call them? Those, those, those where they got together in the car and, and sort of travel together, like by a travel agency. Like, I don't think you could, I'd never heard of that before. Actually, actually, I think that sort of thing does still exist, but there's background checks. Oh, right. Well, ah. right. Or, or I'll give you another example of it. When I was in college, you know, when, my first college, when I was at Frostburg, we, you know, used to put, you know, signs up on bullet boards and everything saying, hey, you know, I'm going to Baltimore this weekend. If anyone needs a ride down there, call my number and we could set it up and they would pay five bucks towards gas. And I would load my car up with like five people who were going there and we'd go down for the weekend because I was going to visit a girlfriend and they were going to see boyfriends or family or whatever. And, you know, that was quite common. That The board was filled with people going all different places hmm. and everything because we were two hours away from D.C. or Baltimore. Right. Yeah, we had the same thing in northern Illinois, uh, about 100 miles west of Chicago. Uh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, that, that that's I never did it, but I was quite aware that it was common. No, yeah. I used to do it all the time with, you know, I used to fill up my car. It was quite common i also think and this is this is disturbing but i also think in this day and age um a lot of these things wouldn't happen as as uh, this narrative wouldn't happen just because as a as a people as americans is this country is not nearly as friendly as it was 70 years ago oh definitely yeah. not and that's where i was about to bring up actually there's a lot of what would be considered nowadays blatant racism in this book. Well, oh yeah, well, sure. Well, there's yes, obviously there is now too. Yeah. <laughs> but, there's, but but I will say there's not a lot of mean spiritedness. In this no, book. not at all. When they refer to, you know, the Mexicans and such and everything, it's not mean meant meanly about it or the, you know, they, they use the N word a couple of times or African Americans. Well, that, that can't, I mean, that's just because, I, I mean, the thing is, you can't say they didn't mean it meanly. Um, the The fact of the matter is, is that they were, I mean, they were oh. bad words to use, but the world thought that, that or at least at here in the US, it was acceptable and it never should have been. Right. Um, but yeah. But, it, but, it but, was, but I think in some ways, if you compare this novel to other works at the time, this is really progressive. Very much. Oh, yes. Yes. In, in, in terms of its uh, its feelings about race and uh, racial issues. I mean, it, it almost is hippie before there's hippie, right? Well, the, the beatniks were the pre-hippies. Right. Pretty much. You know, they're, they're the ones and who... You can you know, really see that here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they this was what was one of the births of the beat generation. And they were, they were, it was a whole generation opening up their minds. Exactly. And exposing themselves to drugs and... Yeah, because they were trying weed and stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, experimenting with that. Tea! Tea, as they were calling Tea. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call it weed. Yeah, Not exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but, but even it was progressive, you know, him having the relationship with the, um, the Hispanic young lady in, in Hollywood. And then him moving out to parts of California, like Bakersfield and such, where he was working in the, fi- in the cotton fields mm-hmm. with them. The only thing that, the only time where I felt like, oh, I'm not really comfortable with how they're acting is it just seemed like every once in a while, 
when they talked about uh, domestic abuse, they kind of just blew it off. Like it was just a thing. Like, it was yeah. really, like Dean was horrible at that. Yeah. And, and uh, even Sal didn't really seem like he was that like concerned about it. You know what I mean? Like, like it was just a thing really. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously that's a lot different. Well, but I mean that that was a real influence in everything. I mean, if you watch old, um, oh, sure, sure, radio, sure, Sean Connery 007s, I mean, he would backhand a woman, um, and the next thing you know, she'd be like falling all over him because that was that was considered normal. Well, let me ask you this, Judy, um, as the representative of of women here, um, <laughs> how do you feel like the women characters are? are depicted in this book of what you've read so far? Um, I don't think from what I've read so far, I don't think that they're made out to be very strong. Um, but I it's, don't know. It's from the male point of view. No, it too. is from the male point of view, but I mean like his, his aunt, um, he would ask for money from, but you know, but he also sent her money too. Yeah. Yeah, he he did, but I mean, but I mean, talking about like the the girls that they were fooling around with, and I mean, the thing, some of it's an age too, because I mean, and I'm and I'm sorry, but I mean, um, it, everybody, and it's not just boys. I mean, it's girls too, but but um, it's a standard that like when you're running around in in your teens and stuff. I mean, that that most guys are really just thinking about girls and how far they can go or whatever, you know, that, that sort of thing. But, um, I just don't think that they were portrayed as anything more really than just a means to an end so much. I mean, there was some admiration, but most of them like, Oh gosh, in the beginning of the book, um, um, who was it that he was in the shack that he was staying with when he was the, um, the guard, Oh, the Frenchman. The Frenchman and oh, yeah. that woman. And I mean, oh my gosh. It's like, for some reason, he made it okay for the Frenchman to behave a certain way because he was smooth and all the all these things. And there were all these things that he um, he admired about him. But I mean, the woman was horrible. Just horrible. But she was just looking for a rich man to do, but she ended up with him. You know? Yeah, you know, and I was just like, okay, well... Uh, you know, I mean, she wasn't being treated so well either. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, uh, most of the women are, are pretty much, they're not really full drawn out characters in this. No, unfortunately. But, I but, mean, but it is from like, it is from Sal's perspective and he really, you know, he's got a romantic notion of women, Well, it, and but I don't a, think he has a, I don't think he thinks of them as a, we never get a depiction of like, women characters even the ones that he feels he falls in love with as like full full people well yeah. because well the book is not about his relationships with women the book is about himself and his own experiences so they are secondary characters um but and there's his just relationship not, with dean in his relationship with dean yes um but um they were they were not an important part of the story, except that, I mean, they would go to all these parties and everybody wanted to, you know, all the guys were like, Oh, I want to get that. That's, and 
you know, not talking about this, it's not like a feminist thing at all, but they just weren't part of the story. Kirby, any thoughts on any of that? Yeah. Uh, Again, like I said, I'd go down these Wikipedia branches researching some of these people. And like uh, Carolyn Cassidy, who was the model for Camille, she actually had a BA in drama before any of this happened. <laughs> so she she was a smart smart woman. Uh, so it, I I don't know if that's that's one of the odd things about this. Again, I'd like to know how much of this really happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the um. Uh, yeah. I know it's uh we're getting towards the end now, but um I, I have to the one thing I have to point out too also is just the manner uh the way this is written. Because I think that's the other big thing about this, right? It's not your typical narrative structure. Uh-uh. Um it is really I mean, it's compared to much like uh a lot of the 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 jazz music that is in the book actually in the book itself yes. it's very much uh, in, it seems like it's inspired by jazz it's um uh it seems like it's just like you know thoughts put together and i think you know i think we've all done the research and we know that you know i mean the first draft of this Kerouac just put out in a huge like 120 foot scroll like yeah. just like just typing type even without like punctuation and all that just was typing as it as it hit his head right it was just flowing through well and, that was that, but that was the final version of the book he did because he had done a couple rough drafts before sure that. sure sure and even that wasn't a final final because no. I, I know they recently released the scroll version and it is different than the actual public i plan to read that <laughs> i mean wow he's in <laughs> That's great, though, that it had that kind of um, yes. the effect on you that you want to take it to that point. I mean, that's the whole purpose of, of a book being written that's going to stay in people's minds. I mean, like, like you said, like 70 years. Wait, no. Over 70 years. Already 70. Yeah, sorry. But all these years later, it's still, even though the time period is long gone, but the the ideas of what's happening are still relevant. I would love to be able to go see the actual scroll because it's at, I think it's in New York. Yeah. Here's the thing that uh, now did everybody read this book? Like, like read it as opposed to listen to it. No, we read it. Okay. So uh, when I realized I was crunched for time, I actually went and got the audio book and uh, the audio book is read by Will Patton. Oh. And I got to tell you that it was such a difference. Really? Uh, I don't know if in my head, I'm just this like, not like hip and cool beat guy though, or I don't get that rhythm because I was reading there. Was, while I was reading it, there were certain passages that I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. You know, but um, I wasn't really feeling one way or another, but as soon as I put in the book, the audio version, and listen to Will Patton read it. Um, and he doesn't just read it like, um, uh, like stoically. I mean, he kind of gets into it. He does, little, he does some, he modulates his voice as, as the, as different characters. Uh, he really, um, 
he really does Dean like like perfectly, like exactly how you picture Dean or can hear in your head Dean sounding. Like it's just on the money. Um, Like it made you feel different. Like and he's you know he's doing all that stuff um, and he mumbles and stuff like that. I got to say, I mean, I'm not usually one to, to point people to listen instead of read uh, certainly great works of literature. But if you can get a chance to listen to uh, the audio version of this with Will Patton, I definitely recommend it. It's it, like I said, it made a big difference for me. Well, you know, I, kind of, that's awesome, though. I actually did both. Oh, I, okay. I, I listened to it and read it shifting between and sometimes together. Wow. Did you like now, I, Did you listen to Will Patton's version? Yes, that's the same one that I, I listened to. You're right about the way he, he did it. The, the, it's almost like he performs he did it, me. right? Huh? He performs it rather than just he performs flat out it. reads it, right? Yeah. So, because a lot of this uh, I was listening to at work, and obviously I couldn't read it at work. But then I'd hear I'd hear a chapter or two, and then at lunchtime I'd go back and read that chapter. Oh, cool! And, That's and, awesome. And um, I ha- ended up the last bit, the last two sections. I was doing both at the same time. I was reading a law. Oh wow! Oh. That's cool. So, yeah, I'm. I, I'm. I was kind of kicking myself because I'm like, man, I bet the first part of this book would have gone over so much better if I'd been listening to it instead of reading it. Right. No, it totally makes sense. It's interesting because this last time when I was reading it, I, you know, when you read, you sometimes have voices in your head, you know, the characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. This time it was Peter Coyote all the way narrating. Oh, it. I you know, that's I not, know. that's not that different really. Yeah. Um, Patton is kind of like, think of a mix between like Peter Coyote and, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Oh man, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, uh, the all right, all right, all right guy. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, oh um. All right. Oh, you mean uh? Right. I know exactly who you're talking about. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Like yeah. to me, like if Matthew McConaughey was like I don't know, 20 years younger, like he's he's Dean, right? Maybe. Yeah. Well, no, I'm thinking about the way he speaks and and the way Dean was described and and how he enunciated and things, and I'm like. Yeah, I can actually, I can see that too. I was kind of surprised that to see that there was a movie uh, made. Yeah, I was about to bring up the movie. Um, I it was only made kind of recently, uh, like 2012. Watch that movie because what's that? I don't. I won't watch that movie because of the casting. Oh, really? Casting? Yeah. Did you see it, Kirby? Uh, Believe it or not, I got it from Netflix on DVD today. Okay. I yes, just had a I, I still, still get I, I despise Kristen Stewart so much. Oh wow, I didn't realize she was in <laughs> She can't act her way out of a hat. And, you know. <laughs> mm. I I was it's, it's interesting. That. It's uh Billy Crudup is Sal, uh Colin Farrell is Dean. I I don't see it though. Well, Kirby, I'd love to know what you think after you watch the movie. Yeah, we all would. Yeah. yeah Actually, I, I'm sorry. That was that was um that was that didn't actually happen. Sorry that that was not that was that was originally cast. They were originally cast. Okay. But uh, Sam Riley is Sal and Garrett Headland, who I don't even know what that is, is Clayton. So and then you got Kristen Stewart and Kristen Dunst in it. So you got two Kristens in it. 
Mm, yeah. um, like I said, one is I, Kirsten, one is Kristen. Yeah. Oh, Kirsten right. Wells as Camille. That should be interesting. The only thing about it is I, I did read the synopsis, uh, and the whole apparently the entire Mexican section is missing. Yep. Oh wow! Well, I mean, they have to do like to me. That's so my favorite like, part. To me, the best. I I will say for me, the best part was uh, the let's see is the Mexico is part four, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go with part three. Um, part three, where uh, Dean and Sal are traveling from. Don't they start at San Francisco? Yes. And then they go to Chicago. Like that part of the trip, yeah. like I was all over that. That was like that to me was the best part. Because that, like, that actually made me laugh. There were parts that like I was like, laughing hysterically, even just reading it, not even listening to it. I thought some of that stuff, the way he described uh, Dean driving, and uh, the fact that you know Sal was like uh, that he was like in the front for a while because he was like, no, it's okay. I trust him. You know, he just, and then after a while, even he was like, no, I'm going to go in the back. <laughs> I've never felt that way with you, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad his driving is not like, like Dean. So. I, I, I wish you guys could see the look he just gave me. <laughs> I, I went through this thing. I, I started out and just get, got really into, uh, had no problem at all in part one. And I bogged out bad in part two. I just I, I found myself having a lot of trouble even getting the the I didn't want to open it up I didn't I didn't want to bother with it wow. for part two and right. it really really took and that's when I got the audio version which got me through part two and then when I got to part three and part four I was fine and just just moving right along da 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 da. Cool. Well, yeah, part two, because that's when they go back on the road the second time. Yeah. Well, that's the first time he goes on the road with, ne- with Dean. With yeah. Dean. And, and that, that picked up for me. Uh, to me, the, the first part is really kind of the sluggish part for me. But, um, I mean, yeah, you know, on the road, your mileage may vary. But, um, it was, but, so. it was, but it was fun in the first part, because especially like trying to picture him sitting in the back of a flatbed truck with all those other hitchhikers. Remember, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was kind yeah. of interesting, but uh, we ultimately, I, it, it kind of was cool when he was actually on the road, but then when he got to San Francisco and uh, there was all that stuff there, and then when he met the girl, and then he started like picking cotton and everything, I'm like, where is this going? Like, I was just, I was like, this is kind of crazy. So I, by that section, yeah, I, I, well, I mean, like I said, mileage might vary, but. Mm-hmm. Important thing is, I think we all agree that uh, it's a it's a worthy read. Um, yes, now, now I know that the edition that I have has got a um, introduction by um, a uh, academic um, that basically spends oh I don't know thirty pages telling us how important this book is, um, which is a heck of a way to start a book. Like, like, like when you started, it's like your introduction is 30 pages. Like, this is why this book is so important. And this is awesome. And it's, this is why you're going to like it. Masterpiece. And then I left it behind. I mean, it's literally like, it's not just a penguin book. It's a 20th century classic book. Like it's, I mean, obviously it's got that moniker on it. So, you know, side of like, 
pull, push to the side that Mike recommended it and other people have said it's cool and everything like that. It just the sheer like um, weight of the fact that this is listed like as by like, like everybody as an important American novel. Like that's a lot to live up to. And uh, so I'm going to end with saying like, does it live up to that in your mind? And we're going to start with Kirby. Yes, I, w- I would say so. I went into this not expecting to like it. I didn't like parts of it. But at the end, yes, this is a very important piece of American literature, American history. And I'm fascinated by these people. And I want to know more about them. Yeah, good call. Good call. Um, Judy, I know you haven't finished. Yeah. I don't know if it's fair, but do you you feel it when you're reading it? Or, I mean, are you going to finish? Um, I'd like to finish, yes. Um, And I'm going to have a lot of free time on my hands. Just listen to it. It's cool. Really? Yeah, if you just listen to it. My biggest problem with audiobooks is that the minute somebody starts to read to me, I fall asleep. I guess it's a throwback to my childhood. So, um... I tell you what, I like I said, Will Patton does make it interesting. So yes, he does. Just, it's not a dry reading. It's it's like a performance, really. Well, maybe that is the option that I that I ought to take. But I I yeah, do. Anytime she listens to a podcast. Um, that's because no, I'm not she's still awake now. Not everything, but he tried to have me listen to Harry Potter in the car on a road trip we took, and I was out within five minutes. Yeah. Like I don't know, it's very soothing. So, well, um, but yeah, I'd like to finish it. And um, it, like I said, the things that I've heard from you guys aren't going to deter me because there's still individual. Each person in this group has felt something different from it. Yeah, and that's uh, I mean, and and nobody hated it. I mean, that's no, that's the fact that like that's a that's a that's a true sign of something that's uh, pretty special. It's true. Um, and, and there are always characters you love and dislike or love and wow. hate or whatever in, in books that's in anything should be. Um, but, uh, so I will say that for, you know, and, and, uh, full disclosure, if I haven't already said it, but I, I had to skim, uh, because, uh, the last sort of section of the part, we'll say part four, uh, just because uh, I had to, I had to go through Mexico real fast. Like <laughs> I, I, I put, I put my, you know, my pedal to the metal cause I just had to get through that section. Cause not the first I had time really, Mike said that either. <laughs> I had really, um, uh, mis- underestimated like how long it was going to take me to read this because it is, it is very full. Um, it's not the quick read. And I, I was going to say it's not an easy read, but it's not, it's not an uneasy read. It's just not a, fast read because there's a lot of content there in each page so and and to that end i I definitely can see why it's been uh included as one of the best english language novels in the 20th century um it's it's on the list of uh, 100 uh, by the modern library and all that so i get it um i don't know if i'm going to put it up there as one of my favorites but i understand it and i acknowledge it and i respect it and so And so, Mike, because you picked it, we'll leave uh, the last words on this book with you. Uh, obviously, I know how much it means to you personally, so I would imagine that you also agree that it's one of the best novels uh, ever made. Well, of ever course made. it is. And there's a lot, you know, Some I have read other Kerouac books, but this one always stood out to me because it touched me more. 
in a lot that's of a good, ways. That's a good point. And I, it, it, so how are his other books compared to this? Is this like a big peak or? This is, is a big, a, this is a big peak because, and when you look at it and his other books are good. I don't consider them classics like this, but you know, this was, to me, this is the pinnacle for him. Mm-hmm. And I love the characters and a couple things, you know, if you want to re- hear more about Neil Cassidy, because out of all the other characters in the book, um, Dean, Neil Cassidy actually did a lot. After yeah. And everything, you know, um, Tom Robbins did the electric Kool-Aid um, test book. And he basically, Neil Cassidy is very big with the Merry Pranksters. And that were very big in the hippie movement. He was the one who drove the bus. He actually. drove the bus, yeah. Yeah. And, I've, I've also got the the documentary about that on my DVD queue for Netflix. That's awesome. That is awesome. But there's also a, there's a thing that Cassidy did called the Joan Anderson Letters. And they made a movie based off of those. And it's called The Last Time I Committed Suicide by and starred Keanu Reeves, actually. Whoa. Whoa, dude. Uh-huh. So, and so there's different things. You definitely look up for these characters and these people, they're real people. And Allen Ginsberg, all these people were all tied into this. And it's just, it's just amazing stuff. And some really, you know, cool stuff that came out of it and the whole culture that was based off of it. I definitely highly recommend this and I'll probably end up, you know, reading it again and I'll definitely listen to the audios now. It's not like, it's, it's definitely one of those works too, that I would imagine reading it at different points of your life. Me, it, you take some, Oh, it does. It's completely different than it was to Mike at 15. So yeah, like you've said multiple that. times. So, well, very cool. Well, thank you for the recommendation. I think it's, uh, I think it was worthy endeavor. Uh, I, yeah, like Kirby said, it was kind of out of, you know, the norm for us. But then again, I don't think we have a norm, right? Because we've, we've, we've gonna, we're doing all sorts of crazy things. Although the next time we reconvene as a book club, we will be kind of going back into the, the geeky stuff. Um, uh, in, in October, we will be reviewing the original uh, Frankenstein novel by Mary Shelley. So awesome. Awesome. Yes. I read that. That is that is my pick. That is my pick. It is something I've never read it. So it's something that I've always wanted to read. So I'm looking forward to reading it and discussing it with you guys. So I read it 40 years ago. I'm yeah. looking forward to <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah. to reading it again. The last time I read it was high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, this yeah. would be awesome. awesome. So so very cool. So all you listeners out there, you can join us in October. Um, thank you guys so much. And we will be right back with the uh, BSO Network Conoport. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Swamp Thing, Episode 4, The Darkness on the Edge of Town. So, Swamp Thing is still going strong, and the fourth episode was just as good as the others. This one took an almost monster-of-a-week approach with the, the sickness that is transmitted through being scratched. Each person who gets this sickness sees their most deepest, darkest fears, and in most cases, ended up killing themselves. Many different townspeople get this virus, including the sheriff and Abby. 
Abby has the right idea to head to the swamp where Alec, the swamp thing, helps her get rid of it and return it to the person who tried to hide the virus from the world in the first place. This episode, to me, was also really cool to see since I worked on it. I was one of the extras in the crawfish brawl scene, so it was really, really cool to see the entire, like, five-minute scene, which took about 13 hours to film. Also, just to see the episode after watching the crew film it to see how it was all executed. And you can even see me in one of the scenes, so that was really neat, too. Overall, Swamp Thing has started great and just keeps going amazing. I'm really loving this show, and I'm so sad that there will not be more episodes after the first season ends. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. For the week of July 18, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, there's only one convention left in the in the month of July that you can find ESO Network folks at, and it just happens to be those ESO Network folks are myself and Mike. Uh, you can see us at the How about Atlanta- that? I know, right? You can see us at the Atlanta Comic Convention. Yes, I know we talked about the Atlanta Comic Con earlier in the episode, but we will be at the Atlanta Comic Convention, which is a great one-day show that's held about four times a year here at the, uh, it's usually at the Marriott Century Center. And uh, Mike and I will be there. Uh, We will not have a table. So if you want to catch us uh, there, just please message us or just hang out all day. And uh, we we will be there. Mike will be by the pop figures. I'll probably be in the back issues or in the trades. I always like to try. And your point is, come on, dude. Exactly. No, I get it. So, um, and there's a lot of like friends of the station that are going to be there. Uh, the award-winning Bobby Nash is going to be there. He'll, he'll have a table and he'll be selling some stuff as well. So, uh, so yeah, we hope to see you there. And that's again, July 28th, which is a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, and then the week after that is August 3rd, which is the Legion Comic-Con. Uh, in Smyrna, Georgia, which is a first-year con, which is put together by our good friend, Chris Hamer. And uh, we um, uh, that's one that Mike and I, again... Uh, well, Mike, are we having a table there, or what, are we just hanging around? We're supposed to be hanging around and possibly doing some interviews. Okay. So, yeah, we're uh, TBA, exactly, as to what our schedule is going to look like that day. But Mike and I will both be there in support of this brand-new show put on by a very cool guy. So, uh, so you'll definitely want to make, uh, make sure you, you show up for that one. And then at the end of August, it's the big, big one, man. It's the, it's the granddaddy of them all. It's the reason that we, uh, we have a, a separate podcast here on the ESO network. And that is Dragon Con. Uh, Dragon Con is uh, huge and I never miss it. And Mike's always there. So we'll be there for sure this year. And there are a lot of other ESO network folks going to be there as well. Um, still waiting to get the full list of everybody's going to be there. And of course, 
it's way too early to, to, to be able to tell you what our schedule is. But if you want to find out all information about the Dragon Con Report, listen to the ESO uh, Network's 2019 Dragon Con Con Report episodes. Uh, we've just completed episode seven. And that should be live pretty soon. So uh, check that out when it goes live. And then we'll have one more before the show. So uh, we hope that if you are planning to go to Dragon Con, you'll help us actually participate in that one, where you can send us an audio clip or an email of what you're excited about this year at Dragon Con, and we will play it or we will read it on the show. So uh, for more information about that, uh, check out, you can uh, message us here uh, or check out, of course, the uh, Dragon Con email. Mike, what is that again? Dragon Con Report at ESONetwork.com. Dragon Con Report. And that's, is it Dragon Con Con Report? It is, my friends. Are you, <laughs> you don't even know what your own email is. No. I don't. Aren't I sad? No, you're just us. It is Dragon Con Report at ESONetwork.com. Right. It's Dragon Con. We have, C-O-N, we have Dragon- all these new kinds of, you know, kind of email addresses on the network here that it's just messing us up left and right. Right. So Dragon Con Report at esonetwork.com so um and if you like if that if that gives you any trouble just message us on facebook or twitter or whatever and we'll we'll be glad to uh to find you we want you to be part of that show so and we want to be part of other conventions so if you've got a convention that you want to talk about like alex and richard did uh or that we can help promote uh please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. I wanted to thank everyone for joining us tonight for our book club segment. Judy, thank you so, so much, my dear. It's my pleasure. And it's always good to see you up here and join us for the book club. It's actually great that you're part of it now. I love talking with everybody. And Kirby, thank you so much. It was interesting and much different than I expected. And thanks for having the idea of reading that. Oh, I had it, what, 40 years ago? <laughs> so, yeah. If only I had a thing called a podcast to talk about. <laughs> well, now you do. <laughs> exactly. Anything you want to shout out, sir? Uh, I'm one of the co-hosts on the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast, uh, and we're currently going through all of Doctor Who. We are about to do Shada. Uh, we're doing oh, everything awesome. in sequence, and so find us on Facebook. Just look at Two zero MB Doctor Who podcast. I, I have to ask real quick, which which are you doing? Like which version new, of Shot are you doing? The new, the newest one, the 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 new animation. Okay, gotcha. All right, cool. Oh, with the Tom Baker extra stuff. Yep. <laughs> oh, sorry, spoilers. I, I didn't know that was in there. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, <laughs> Mike. Thank you, buddy. As always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? Um, yeah, you know, since we're talking about um, independent thinkers and we're talking about conventions all over this episode, uh, I just had to give a shout out. I'm not going to name any specific names, but uh, I'm going to give a shout out to all my fellow uh, indie comic creators out there. Um, uh, last month, uh, I went through Artist Alley, back to front, uh, the, across the whole room, 
both uh, on the con floor on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Met a lot of uh, independent creators, guys I've known for years, as well as guys that are just coming up. And then I had the pleasure to do so at the Atlanta Comic Con on Saturday. And let me tell you, those guys are, are doing it because they love it. So support an indie comic creator. Uh, we have a, we know a bunch of them, um, and uh, uh, I definitely recommend uh, checking out like like the, all their work because they're all awesome. That's amazing. That is cool. Definitely support your local comic book writer and artist. It's definitely worth it, folks. You know, we walked around at Atlanta Comic Con and we talked about it earlier, but you know, these people are so willing to talk to you and promote their stuff. And it's always and great. You know what? Like it, the common misconception is, is that, oh, just avoid them because they just want you to sell you something. And yes, they really want you to buy. They something, do. But they also just are lonely. Like just they, they want to talk to people too. So as long as you just don't block their table so that other people can look, just to hang out and tell, you know, talk to them and, and find out what they're about. And, um, you know, it, they're just good. They're, they're good people. They're good people. That's a great way to put it. They are good people. All right. My shout out real quick um, is Judy and I just got done watching a really amazing TV show on Netflix. We just got done watching Umbrella Academy. So much fun. And it was great. I had read the original comics that it was based off of, and this blew it away and everything. I enjoyed the comics, but this brought it to life and even add more depth to the characters and such. And they've already announced that there is going to be a season two because they did end it on kind of a cliffhanger. Yes, they did. And it's a lot of fun, some great characters. And it's like, it's like the new mutants, but with a really big twist type thing. (laughs) And, you know, it's X-Men and, you know, that type of thing. yeah. Yeah. But it was a lot of great stuff. And there's a lot of mysteries that they haven't answered in season one. So definitely worth checking out Umbrella Academy. That's on my list. Yeah. Exactly. It's only, it's not even that many episodes. I think it's only 10 episodes. Yeah. It was, it was an easy watch and it was, it was fun. And, and so, so we were able to, to get a lot of it done in, in, uh, in, uh, in time for Stranger Things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, speaking of Stranger Things, that leads right into next week's episode. We are going to be reviewing Stranger Things Season 3. We have to finish the last couple Yes, of I know we have to finish the episodes. <laughs> but yes, we have two more episodes to go as of this recording. So Not t- tonight. Not tonight. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so we, we have more podcasts to record. So um, there you go. Okay, well, then I'm but join us here on Earth Station One when we talk all about Stranger Things Season 3. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, stars our own Gwinnett Place Mall, you know, <laughs> soon to be uh, whatever kind of new stadium they're building there. Oh Cricket Field, I think it is, or something that like that. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see. So... Until then, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we're done. Boom. Mm. Thanks, guys. That was, that was fun. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. 
Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.